Good morning. Uh, I have some bad news for everyone. We're all Baptists here. Well, mostly, I guess. And I came across this article that scientists have been studying the atomic level of everything, and they've discovered that it's all Catholic. Apparently, all atoms have mass. Thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> On a more serious note, but still kind of funny, but kind of scary all at the same time, I want to just give a short little testimony about what happened this morning to me. I woke up and I had the desire to praise God with my guitar, which I haven't done for quite a long time. Now, for those who know, that's, I feel sorry for the rest of the family that was hearing it. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to head off to church early and I'm going to praise God the whole way here. And the weirdest thing happened. I got so caught up in praise that I found myself, I don't know how far I was driving, like this. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why God saved me, but no cars were there, nothing happened. It was just a wonderful time with God this morning. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, it was the weirdest thing. I don't normally close my eyes for long. I have lots of kids. There's not much chance for that. So this morning, I want to talk about probably the most questioned book in the Bible, the most challenging book that everyone likes to talk about, and that's about as far as it goes. And so this morning, I want to talk about the problem with the book of Revelation. And, and I want to start off just giving you two verses that's going to pretty much sum up the problem with the book of Revelation, in my opinion. Anyone like the book of Revelation here? I love the book of Revelation. Good. I'm glad to see lots of hands up. I'm hoping that means lots of you have read the book of Revelation. Okay. The first verse I want to give us is not from Revelation at all, but rather from Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. That seems like, what the heck has that got to do with what I'm trying to say here? And this verse, I can be completely wrong, but this is just a personal conviction that I've come to conclude. God had just, uh, well, the, the angel came to Daniel and was giving all these visions that God was showing him. And then he said, you know what? Just roll it up. No one needs to know this properly yet because they're just not going to understand it. It's not for that time. And I suspect, I suspect that that scroll was probably a reflection in some form of revelation. And so for years and years and years, We've been left with the book of Revelation with this sealed up scroll. We've got the words, but we don't understand it because it's been sealed. I suspect it might have something to do with that. But also, something about prophecy, I don't know if you've noticed this, it's only clear retrospectively. Have you noticed that? So that's one aspect of that. So it's been sealed up, it's... So as the times are becoming closer and closer, a little bit more of it makes more and more sense. And that's the book of Revelation. But here's the, the biggest part. This is the biggest problem with the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 verse 3. 
because I should be in not to condemn some guys. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Why is that a problem, you might ask me? But it is probably the biggest problem with the book of Revelation. You are promised a blessing by God himself. Not through anybody. These are words of Jesus saying, blessed is the one who reads these words aloud. Do you think Satan wants that for you? Everything will stop you and stand in the way of you reading the book of Revelation. Because Satan doesn't want you coming anywhere near it. The reason for that can be multiple. I think the biggest thing is, is he doesn't like to hear his end spoken out loud. But that's just my opinion. That's irrelevant, but just an opinion. When you study the book of Revelation, like I say, your enemy, the devil, will be on the prowl. Thoughts of, this is too confusing. Or, the pastor should totally be teaching this so that we could understand it. Tend to flood you and you kind of close the book. Because it's just too much. That is a, probably the number one attack from the enemy when it comes to the book of Revelation. Then there's other practical things like, you open the book of Revelation to read it, and then suddenly, something important happens. You know, you hear the tap dripping. You've got to go close the tap. Or kid uh, knocks his toe, and you've got to go and see to the kid crying. Something practical happens. An attack from the enemy, preventing you from reading the book of Revelation. Other times, it's just really good things. And it was so funny, because as I was writing this paragraph, I'm going to read the paragraph to you, and then I'm going to tell you what happened. I'll try not mention names. Even good things happen, like a phone call from someone you haven't spoken to for a while, or a visit from someone you really enjoy spending time with. As I'd written that paragraph, no jokes, friends rock up at my door. How you can only realize, and I loved my friends, I didn't chase them, I loved them, we had time, wonderful time together, but I didn't let Satan win that fight. fight. As soon as they left, I was back in my room, door closed. I have to say, thank you, Joe. I have locked myself in the room working on this sermon, like you couldn't hear crickets chirping from me. I was just having so much fun at the sermon. The book of Revelation, if you ever want to preach on the book of Revelation, you're going to have so many notes, and almost none of it's going to come out in your sermon, because there is just so much information. But don't let that overwhelm you, because Jesus promises a blessing to anyone who reads the book of Revelation aloud. I love that, not just in your head. I love the thought of reading it, even if you don't understand what you're reading, just read it. But then it goes on. But for those who hear the word, there's another blessing. Those who put to practice or take to heart 
or make sense of the book of Revelation, there's another blessing. So, all excuses now can be eliminated because I am going to try and give you just a few handles to hold on to as you work through this book of Revelation. I would love to give you a whole big breakdown, but I can guarantee everyone in this room is going to have different opinions and thoughts on it. And that's fine. Okay? I just want to give you some handles for you to go home, pick up that book, and stick it to Satan. Read it. It is so encouraging just reading it. So I'm going to kind of give you a bird's eye view of the book of Revelation. I'm not going to go too much into different eschatological views and opinions. I can tell you up front, I have the opinion of a pre-tribulation rapture. Others will have a mid-tribulation rapture. And I apologize if I use Christianese. Okay, I'm making the assumption everyone who's hearing about the Word of God today has some understanding. And if you don't, I'm more than happy to chat with you afterwards. But I'm, I find it very difficult to not use a bit of Christianese here. I love that phrase, Christianese. It's interesting that the, the challenge of reading the book of Revelation is Satan will attack you and prevent you trying to do it. In the book of Luke, Jesus is talking about uh, demons and oppression from demons and casting demons out. And a woman comes up to him and says, hey, blessed are you. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the mother who nursed you. And Jesus replied in the context of dealing with demons, he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The same blessing, if you want to call it that, or understand it that way, is given to those who will take on the challenge of reading the book of Revelation. And it's good to wrestle with the book of Revelation. It's good to have differing opinions, because then if you have differing opinions, you can get together with other people and talk about the word of God. You don't have to fight about it. You don't have to be contentious about it. But you get to wrestle together with somebody else. And if you will wrestle with the Word of God, particularly when it comes to the book of Revelation, I picture it very much the same. You're going to have to do it just like Jacob did when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and would not let go until he got his blessing. So why don't you do the same thing? So, my bird's eye view. I'm going to give you chapters 1 to 3, and then I'm going to go chapters 4 to 7, I think it is. I'll get back to that. Okay, I'm going to deal with chapters 1 to 3 first. The first three chapters, we're going to kind of skim over, and you'll find that Jesus, you'll see Jesus walking amongst the churches and writing a letter to the churches. And the different letters to the churches, some people will have the opinion that the letters to the churches represent the church through different ages. And that's okay. I, I lean towards that, but you don't have to see it that, that way. You can see it as these were literal letters to, well, they were literal letters. Um, they were for very specific churches at the time, and we can gain only the knowledge of, hey, what was God teaching them that we need to learn? That's okay too. I think both are correct. Both understandings, they are correct. But it's interesting that you're, you're going to come across seven churches. 
And, and the fact that there's seven churches that was written where this was written to is the reason I feel that it speaks of the church through the ages. Because throughout the book of Revelation, everywhere in the book of Revelation, without exception, the number seven represents completeness. It is complete. It's finished or it's a whole, it's completely done. It's, there's, there's no more to be going on, which is one of the, one of the strong reasons I lean towards the, the thought of each letter written to a church age as well as uh, individual congregations, which is also very important if you understand prophecy because prophecy needs to be understood with a near context and a far context. The purpose behind that is to establish truthfulness or accuracy of the, pro of the, of the prophet or the prophecy. At the time, if a, prophet didn't, if a prophecy didn't come to pass, they were supposed to be stoned. Okay? So these prophecies needed to be understood in the near context, but also have a far application. And a phrase, when you come to reading this, because I'm hoping you're going to ho go home and read the book of Revelation, and flip it to him again, every time. I hope you're going to go home. But when you read this, there's a phrase I want you to hear. When, whenever you're reading the letters to the book of Revelation, to the seven churches, it says, to him who overcomes. Every letter, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. Who overcomes? There is only one who overcomes, isn't it? It's Jesus. He is the one who overcomes. And it is to him blessings belong, and it is from him blessings are given. And because of that, because Jesus, Jesus is the one who overcomes, is the reason we are called more than conquerors. Because we come in the heels of the conqueror. We come just behind him following him. He's done the conquering and we get to do the cleanup. Romans 8.38 tells us that in Christ we are more than conquerors. I would, I would encourage you to compare Romans 8.38 and 39, that area, and see the things that Paul says that he is confident that we will overcome in Christ and compare it to the book of Revelation, the letters in the book of Revelation. So Romans 8, compare it to the church. Go home and study. Go home and have fun. So, when you read that, you're going to see the, the picture of the church is described as lampstands, and you're going to see Jesus walking amongst the church. It's a very intimate picture of him being involved directly with the churches. And the book of Revelation starts off saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we are going to kind of look for who Jesus is throughout this whole message here. We see Jesus as the one who walks amongst the church first. And in chapters 4 to 5, we are taken kind of to the throne room of God. What an exciting place to be. You see the pictures described there, they're terrifying, but exciting. You get to see the supremacy of Jesus begin to be explained. God here in these chapters is worshipped and exalted by all those in heaven around the throne of God. <clears throat> I found it a bit confusing trying to decide if 
the one on the throne is God the Father or Jesus. So if you come to chapters 4 and 5, don't get discouraged if you get mixed up. I kind of get mixed up, so I love the simple solution for that. God is on the throne. You can simplify it and get away from all the confusion for a second and just revel in the fact that God is on the throne. And he's being praised and worshipped. Listen to how they praise him in 4 verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Here he is praised as someone outside of time, before time, during time, and after time. He is the God eternal. He is worshipped as the eternal. And then verse 11 goes on to say, Worthy are you, sorry, worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So not only is he outside of time, he creates time and he creates creation. And he is intimately involved in every aspect of it. So he's praised as God outside of creation and praised as God within creation involved in our lives. Later, throughout the book of Revelation, you'll also find that he is praised and worshipped as the one who rightly judges. The inhabitants of the world, <clears throat> sorry. So throughout heaven, you see these 24 elders and you see all these angels. They're worshipping him in different times and places. Whenever one worships, the other kind of, one stops and the next one kind of comes in and continues the praise a bit more. It's like there's always something happening that he gets praised for, and then the other guy comes up, other people come in and praise again throughout the book of Revelation. But there's one moment in Revelation, in these, in these chapters 4 to 5, where martyrs are seated, or well, they're around the throne, and they start to question. They say, how long? How long, O Lord, before you come and execute your, judge, your righteous judgment? And, and we can be tempted to think these guys are like questioning God's motives or questioning what the, does God actually know what he's doing. But it's not the case when you come to these things. What you find here are the martyrs pleading with God to see that his justice happens for God's sake. They want to see God reveled and honored in the world as he is reveled and honored in heaven. And so they're saying, how much longer before this happens? We're excited for it to happen. Make it happen now, Lord. They're kind of where they're at. But, but get this. At that point, he just kind of more or less says, not yet. Just wait a bit. And the psalmist puts it like this. Picture these guys saying, how long before your justice and your judgment comes? The psalmist puts it saying, he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not, is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some might count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So while the martyrs are, are craving justice for God's glory, God's saying, wait, there is at least one more that needs to come. Isn't it good news that God hasn't come yet? Because we would probably all not be here. 
God's slow to anger means we are here today. And that's exciting. That should just bring us into the worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That alone. But I have to also say we don't know how much longer God will hold back his wrath and his judgments. So if you look at 2 Peter 3, 9, it goes on to say something in, in verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works done, it, done in it will be exposed. If you haven't received Christ yet, he is holding back just a little bit longer, but we don't know how much longer. It will come suddenly. My encouragement, if you haven't received Christ, is that you turn to him, because his judgment is coming. And the judgment gets pretty intense. With that judgment, we're going to go into the next section, talking about the judgment of God. So Revelation 6 to 7, we learn that there are seven seals sealing a scroll. I wonder if it's the same scroll that Daniel was having to seal up. Maybe? Seven seals. Why seven? Completely sealed. And there is no one who can undo these seals except for one. And here, we start off seeing Jesus revealed as the one who walks amongst his churches. Then we see him praised as the one who is above and outside of creation, but also intimately involved in creation. In these chapters, he's revealed as a lamb that was slain. And that is what gives him the reason or the authority and the power to open up those seals. But why does that give him power? Because these seals each represent a judgment. There is no one who is worthy to judge the world except the one who paid the price for the world. And so he alone can open up the scroll. One by one, the seals are, are opened up and they reveal a judgment, and they reveal a judgment, and they reveal a judgment. Each judgment designed to bring people to repentance. Until the last seal comes, seal number seven. And that gets kind of scary. How's this? The last seal. described as an about a half an hour in heaven of silence. Now, most of us have had kids here. Not all of us. I've got a really energetic young man in my house. And he can push me, and he can push me, and he can push me. And eventually, before my wrath is revealed, 
I take a breath. I wonder if heaven is experiencing the same emotion in that time. The whole of heaven has to pause because they see God is about to unleash his final bout of wrath and judgment. And they know what's coming, and it's scary. There were six seals revealing each little piece of judgment. One seal contains a lot of judgment coming now. This final seal contains seven trumpets and three woes. I don't want to get down to breaking down into each one as to what they all do and everything. Other than to say each of them are designed to bring the world to repentance. And the world largely rejects. And they are incredibly harsh. A third of the world population decimated. All the waters turn to poison. A third of the oceans turn to blood. A third of all sea life floating dead. A third of all ships in the sea, which means no commerce happening basically, wiped out. It gets extreme. And if it was a movie, we'd think, wow, this is pretty, pretty heavy. That's a bit overhanded. You know, we often look at modern example, easy to picture. We look at what's happening with Israel and Hamas, and we think, oh, maybe Israel is just a little bit too heavy-handed. Wait until you see what Revelation explains of God. His hand comes down heavy. And the bowls of God's wrath are thrown out over the world. Side note, didn't write it down because I don't even know where it references offhand directly. This is called the time of God's wrath or the time of Jacob's trouble. No, it's not Jacob's. Anyway, this is the wrath of God being poured out. But the Bible also tells, tells us that we are not appointed unto wrath. So one of the reasons I believe in a pre-tribulation is because we are not appointed for this time in history. But because it's such a heavy thing, I think it's important to notice how he is praised at this point. Revelation 19.1. I think I've jumped a few, skipped a few chapters there, haven't I? Yeah, sorry. The seventh seal is from 8 to 19. <laughs> In 19.1, we hear God being praised like this. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. Hallelujah. The praise almost vindicates what Jesus has to do. But it's not that Jesus needs vindication. I think that praise is put there so we, the readers, can see that God is not being too heavy-handed. He is praised as His judgments are true and just. They are what are required. That half hour in heaven also makes me think of Jesus just before He was crucified. He goes before the Father and He says, Father, if there is any other way, all the while knowing that there isn't, but nonetheless, he still opens his heart to the Father and says, if there is any other way, 
from this this cup depart from me. And right now, these three cups or these bowls of judgment are about to come upon the world at this point in future history. And I wonder if heaven's quiet because they have the same heart. Father, if there is any other way. All the while knowing that there is not. Chapter 19 yields two other gems I'd like to touch on. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's start with that one. So we've seen Jesus as the one who walks intimately amongst the church. We see him exalted high outside of creation, praised within creation. We see him as the Lamb, the only one worthy to pass judgment. And here, the marriage supper of the Lamb, we see Jesus portrayed as a Lamb again. And this could have two possible reasons. One is that because of his sacrifice, he has been able to prepare a place for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Without his sacrifice on the cross, he would not have been able to prepare a place for us to go and be with him. Or it could also mean that while we see him as the one passing judgment on the world, he is also celebrating his union with his church. Marriage supper of the Lamb occurring at the same time as these judgments happening. Again, I'm a pre-tribulationist. You're allowed to have a different opinion. Okay? So use those and wonder for yourself. Go and study. Get excited about what is presenting. Come talk to me. Disagree with me. It's okay. Disagreement doesn't need to lead to discord. Disagreement should deepen our desire to know God and His word better. But then Jesus is also presented in a whole new light, and this is the exciting part. No longer is he presented as the Lamb. Chapter 19, he is now also presented as the one riding a white horse. As a victorious king of kings and lord of lords, tattooed on his arms and his legs and all over. I don't know if you like to say he was tattooed, but it was marked on him. Picture of Jesus, this picture of Jesus riding on a white horse contrasts one of the first horse, well, contrasts the first horseman of the apocalypse, if you want to read it earlier on in the book of Revelation. That king came riding bent on conquest and destroying all that is good and godly. This king hasn't come riding to destroy. He's come as the conqueror who has already conquered. As the one who is exalted above creation and within creation. He is the victorious king of kings and lord of lords. And he's there to usher in the final reign of God on earth as he sets about making all things new. Even heaven and earth are being made new at this point now. In the book of Revelation, not like right now, just in the book of Revelation, around chapter 19. And the permanent eternal punishment of Satan and his angels has been set up now. 
but an off side shoot note here. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. You and I were never intended to go there. When people look at and want to wave a finger at God and say, you're such a loving God, how can you send me to hell? He does not send you to hell. You continue down the path you have chosen to hell. Everyone can choose to climb off that path. Seek the Lamb. He will come as a conquering king. And then finally, the last two chapters, chapter 20 and 22. Here we're given the picture of creation restored and reminded that sin will be dealt with and its final blow will be done. Our perfection in Christ will be obtained and eternally maintained. That's the time I'm looking for. You know, I have moments of life where I think, yeah, I've got a good, I haven't sinned this last five minutes. And those are good five minutes. I'm looking forward to an eternity of that. Where I can stand worthy of being before the king. And in these chapters, we are showing the final picture of who our Jesus is. And it takes us back to the beginning from the end. Chapter 22, we see Jesus himself as the one who blesses. He blesses. Blessed, again, blessed is the one who keeps the prophecy, the words of the prophecy of this book. And again, in a few, verse later, a few verses later, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. He is finally seen as our blessing king. So to kind of wrap up here, I've given you some tools, some little handles to kind of grab a hold of the book of Revelation. I've really glanced over the very surface of it. So you can go home and read it, study it, and enjoy being blessed. The book of Revelation is an encouraging book. It reminds us that God wins. But it also makes us get past the Christmas picture for a bit, where we only see Jesus as this babe in the manger, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We see him as the one who holds judgment over the world. We see him as a conquering, victorious king of kings. He is no longer bound by the constraints of our world but lifted high above it. The first book of the Bible describes the fall of man and the corruption of creation. And here in the last book of the Bible, we see the restoration of man and the recreation of creation. A new heaven and a new earth, all made new. Where man destroyed the God-man made right. I've tried going through this message, trying to avoid timelines and charts, which I thought I did pretty good with. I don't think I brought any timelines in, did I? No, I didn't. 
and these are valuable and they're worth kind of diving in and looking around and trying to find it out, see how they tie up with Daniel, how they tie up with 2 Peter, how they tie up with Thessalonians. It's everything tied together. It's worth doing. It's fun and it's encouraging. You know, when the world is falling apart and you think, what the heck are we going to do? You can just turn to the book of Revelation and think, oh, I don't have to do anything. I just, I just got to overcome. I got to stand firm. But in this message, I wanted to, wanted to stay true to the opening verse of the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation means the unveiling, to make known. This is the making known of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. So if there's only one thing I would encourage you to find, way more important than your timelines and charts and where you stand on the, on the trib concept, way more important than all of that, while those are good and fun and worth pursuing, one thing I would encourage you to do when you're studying the book of Revelation is to seek who Jesus is revealed as. Because that's what it's all about. Let us pray. Our great, mighty King. We've just read a book about the future, read in the past, so it's like future history to come. And we are encouraged that you are victorious. We are encouraged, Father God, that this world as we know it, that it's so corrupted and fallen apart, that this creation itself groaning to see your coming, it's going to pass and we are going to see you face to face. This world holds many troubles ahead for us. And Lord, I love the idea of being raptured before the tribulation. But if I'm wrong, give me and every person in this room the courage, conviction, and strength to stand up and hold fast and overcome in those times. But in that, I pray, Father, as well, that don't only give us that then, because this world offers trouble and persecution and tribulation even now. Give us the courage, conviction, and power, and strength in Jesus Christ to overcome now so that we can wash our robes white and have the right to the tree of life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that not only are you seen as the lamb who was slain, but you are seen as the conquering king who brings peace eternally. Thank you that you are our peace. And we thank you, Father God, for giving us this book of Revelation that's left us confused for so many years. But, Father God, I pray that we don't just give up because it's difficult, but that we dive in and we work harder to get through it, to understand it, to get that blessing. May we wrestle with you, Father God, until you give us that blessing. I pray, Father for a conviction in every person's heart here today, that they will go home and read the book of Revelation out loud. And then, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you will bring understanding. 
and conviction to hold fast. I thank you for, for, for not having come yet, that I was able to be a part of those that will go up and be with you. Give us the, the conviction to go and make disciples so that they too can be with you forever. And as we, as we leave this place, put a fire in our souls to know you more. We pray this in the holy, holy, holy name of Jesus, our Lamb who was slain and our conquering King. Amen.